I told Nate that I was preaching on depression today, and he said, how about if we do a suitable worship set, I'm just going to make it really loud and upbeat. Because you kind of need that when you're talking about depression. We, by the way, went to a party yesterday celebrating Rob Shower's birthday. He's 29. And that's weird because he has a daughter who's about 29. So, And Rob, on the way out, happy birthday, old man. Yeah, you too, old man. Where's your walker? Yeah, where's your... Ha ha ha. What are you preaching on tomorrow? I said, depression. <laughs> so, look, if you miss everything else, don't miss... We'll get to this at the very end, but you can battle depression. Not only can you, but you really have to. So we'll talk how to battle it, because we're in a series of messages called How to Deal with How You Feel. And we've talked about anger, and some of you got really angry in your emails to me. And we talked about anxiety, and today we're going to talk about depression. And we need some help, so let's pray. Father, we still and quiet our hearts today. And we break open our chests to you, and I want to ask that you would be gracious and speak to us. Lord, I pray that on my part, this would not be in any way performance. It also wouldn't be perfunctory. I pray that you would forgive me of my sin, and I pray that you would protect us today from hearing anything that's not of you. Today, Lord, I also pray that you would protect us, any of us, against easy answers, speaking them or even looking for them. Father, I pray especially for those here today who struggle with depression and may even be battling it now. Jesus, we know that there is strength, and there's peace, and there's comfort, and there's even joy and hope in your presence. And I pray for that today, for a a filling of your presence. In Jesus' name, amen. So Abraham Lincoln was one of the greatest presidents in U.S. history. Flannery O'Connor was perhaps the greatest short story writer in American literary history. Buzz Aldrin was an adventurer, a scholar, a physical specimen of the absolute finest tuning. He was also an Apollo-era astronaut who landed on the moon. Charles Haddon Spurgeon was perhaps the greatest English-speaking preacher of the entire 19th century. And what do these four people have in common? They all struggled with depression throughout their lives. So have many of our heroes and many of our friends and many of us. Diane and I were living in Massachusetts before we moved to Northern Virginia when Michael Dukakis, former governor of Massachusetts, ran for president. Some of you are old enough to remember that name. During that run, his wife, Kitty Dukakis, went public with her lifelong battle with depression. Kitty said that she unsuccessfully medicated herself for years with alcohol. And in the years leading up to her public disclosure, she had been treated by and and responded favorably to, by the way, electroshock therapy. Her disclosure initiated a memorable, highly public discussion of depression. And that was the first time I remember realizing how prevalent it is and honestly how uh, potentially devastating it can be. In fact, Latest estimates suggest that there are over 9 million Americans who suffer from depression. 
Women are twice as likely as men to suffer, although women are also far more likely to get help with it. During the ages of 45 to 65, we are most susceptible and most likely to experience depression, although it hits every age, every race, every demographic category. It affects productivity. It affects our health overall. It affects our relationships. So how do we deal with it? How do we deal with how we feel when we're dealing with depression? Well, we get some profound insight from Psalm 42 and 43 in the Bible. It's an old song that, well, as we read this, we need to keep something really important in mind. These songs, Psalm 42 and 43, are not songs about depression. So as as you hear this in a second, I want you to remember that these are songs in and from depression. The psalmist, this believing psalmist, is in a very dark place, and that changes the way I think we hear it. And out of this stunning song, we're going to hear three epic and, I hope, liberating truths that speak light into the darkness of depression. These truths will not end depression. The answers are not that easy. They won't answer every concern, but they really will give us insight in how to deal with depression, and and they'll give us a way forward if we'll really hear it today. So let's hear God's word for us today and and hear what he has to say about how to deal with depression. Let's go old school. Let's stand out of reverence for God's word. And I'm going to be reading Psalm 42 and 43. I'm reading from the NIV. It's really close, I hope, to what we have on the screen. It'll be on the screen for you. I'd love for you to have your Bible open if you have a Bible during this part of our time because we're going to be dipping back into the psalm several times. And if you don't, Bible app, open that up if you got it. Psalm 42 and Psalm 43. Listen to this. I'll get to this in a minute, but sometimes in the Psalms they give this little italicized title at the beginning that kind of gives you some information about this Psalm. This this evidently was written by a son of Korah. So here's Psalm 42 and 43. As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When can I go and meet with God? My tears have been my food day and night, while men say to me all day long, where's your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I used to go with the multitude, leading the procession to the house of God with shouts of joy and thanksgiving among the festive throng. Why are you so downcast, O my soul? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. My soul is downcast within me, therefore I will remember you from the land of the Jordan, the heights of the Hermon, from Mount Mizar. Deep calls to deep and the roar of your waterfalls, all your waves and breakers have swept over me. By day, the Lord directs his love. At night, his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. So I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why must I go about mourning, oppressed by my enemy? My bones suffer mortal agony as my foes taunt me, saying to me all day long, where is your God? Why are you downcast, O my soul? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God. For I will yet praise him, my Savior and and my God. It sounds a little schizophrenic, doesn't he? Psalm 43. Vindicate me, O God, and plead my cause against an ungodly nation. 
Rescue me from deceitful and wicked people. You are God, my stronghold. Why have you rejected me? Why must I go about mourning, oppressed by the enemy? Send forth your light and your truth. Let them guide me. Let them bring me to your holy mountain, to the place where you dwell. Then will I go to the altar of God. To God, my joy and my delight. I will praise you with the heart, O God, my God. Why are you downcast, O my soul? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. You may be seated. Okay, epic, liberating truth number one. He paused for dramatic effect. A depression affects our spirit. The first thing we learn from the psalmist's experience is that depression affects our spirit. It mutes our ability to perceive God's presence. This is true for all of us. When you're depressed, you feel as if God has withdrawn himself from you. This isn't because you're bad or unholy. This is not because you are spiritually immature or weak. Depression affects our spirit. As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, O God. The psalmist cries with desperation. This isn't the result of afternoon of exercise or the hunt. This is the thirst of the desert, the spiritual desert. When can I go and meet with God? He has no sense of God's presence. His faith in his church may tell him that God is always with him, but he has absolutely no confirmation of that reality in his gut. Sound familiar? The writer's in the midst of a dark funk. My tears have been my food day and night, he moans. This diet of sorrow is what Christians of the Middle Ages called the dark night of the soul. This soul darkness takes an even gloomier tone in verse 2 of Psalm 43 where he outright accuses God of rejecting him. Now, we tend to think of depression as an emotional disorder. And in fact, that's how we experience it. We feel down. We feel heavy. The sound of our world is muffled. The colors are blurred to gray. Help Guide is a medical self-help website. It offers this typical definition of depression. Quote, when feelings of emptiness, hopelessness, and despair have taken hold of life for an extended period. End quote. The primary symptoms of Depression, including help guide and any number of other places you might go look, are, quote, feeling of hopelessness and helplessness and a feeling of self-loathing, end quote. Depression is, of course, an emotional disorder. And most of us recognize that depression also affects us physically. The symptoms usually include dramatic changes in sleep pattern. Either we oversleep or we aren't able to sleep at all. Also, loss of energy Increased anger or irritability, drastic weight changes sometime due perhaps to overeating or, again, to the inability to eat at all. In fact, when the psalmist says, my tears have been my food, he may mean that quite literally. Depression affects us physically. We become less productive and often, interestingly, more reckless. But what we often overlook is depression's most dramatic consequence. The psalmist doesn't overlook it. The psalmist says, why are you downcast, O my soul? Why so disturbed within me? Depression affects our spirit, and the psalmist cries out with this awareness. Shouldn't I be happy, God? I mean, shouldn't I be rejoicing? You've done so much for me. Look at my blessings. I know you're supposed to be all I need, and I have you. You promised me that, so why am I depressed? Why does this feeling burn its way into my soul? 
Look, the wonderful and unnerving reality of human existence is that there is no great wall separating our emotions from our bodies or from our spirits. We're an integrated whole. God made us to be embodied spirits with emotions and with will. And whatever we experience, we experience as a whole person. Depression affects our spirit. So there are several takeaways from this first insight that fall out of this. At least three that I think we need to remember. You may think of others. Number one, if you're depressed this morning, or if you find yourself depressed in the coming weeks, months, reject the thinking that you are actually distant from God. Reject that thinking. Stand against that. It's not true. Christians do get depressed. In fact, Christians may be especially susceptible to it because of our sometimes heightened awareness of our own spirit. Remember the observation we made the first two weeks, if you were here, when we were dipping into this series. The first thing we said was, we said there's these two big picture things that we had to remember about our feelings. One, you can't deny your feelings. And the other is, you can't allow your feelings to become omnipotent. They don't control you, and they're not always right. So your nearness to God doesn't depend on your sense of his presence. I'm going to say that again. Your nearness to God does not depend on your sense of his presence. You don't need to feel guilty when depression causes you to feel distant from God. I'm not saying it's a good thing when you feel distant from God. I'm not saying it's an easy thing, but don't add guilt to your depression. The feeling of being distant from God is part of what depression does by nature. Reject the thinking that you are actually distant from God. I can't tell you how many times I have had people that I've talked to, friends, some of you, people I've known over the years who have surrendered spiritual ground in the midst of depression. I guess I'm not fill in the blank. I guess I I just don't believe, I don't even know if I'm a Christian. I don't know if I have any connection to God at all. Maybe I never did. Maybe I was kidding myself. Reject the thinking that you're actually distant from God. Second observation that I think falls out of this truth is spiritual problems require spiritual solutions. Now, you should do emotional work to address your depression. How did I get here? What's driving it? What keeps me here? You should be asking those questions. Honestly, those of us who are suburban Americans, you tend to be highly educated, and you know this. You may not do it, but you know it. You know you should be asking these questions. You should also develop physical strategies and routines that help address your depression. I know it's hard to do. The last thing you want to do, Nate and I were talking about this right before the service. He said, what are you going to be talking about? Summarize it. And I said, well, basically, you can battle depression. That's the summary. Well, now, we don't want to battle when we're in the midst of depression, but it's incredibly important for you to develop strategies physical strategies that will help you. But you cannot forget, and maybe most importantly, you cannot forget to do spiritual work. We're going to talk about this at the very end, but just know that depression can't be treated solely through medication or through talk therapy, and those can sometimes be important, but they can't stand alone. You have to do spiritual work. All right, we'll get back to that in a minute. So epic, potentially liberating truth number two circumstances often aggravate depression. I know that we know this, but it deserves to be noted and remembered. Psalm 42 and 43, listen to this. This is interesting. 
It can be sung separately, and it's written separately in the Bible, but they were originally written as one psalm. We know this because they share the same title verse and because both psalms repeat the same chorus. The title tells us that these songs were written, as I said earlier, by a son of Korah. So let me give you a little background. The sons of Korah were Levites who were responsible for leading worship in the temple areas. And this is what he says, these things I remember. You remember that part? These things I remember, he laments, as I pour out my soul, how I used to go with the multitude, leading the procession to the house of God with shouts of joy and thanksgiving among the festive throng. That's a memory. And this isn't only a memory. It's clear from the tone that this is where the psalmist felt alive. There's no reason to doubt his genuine excitement and animation over these memories of significant worship experiences. And these memories make his current surroundings all the more painful for some reason, which he doesn't explain to us, and it doesn't become clear until you read the psalm several times. The psalmist actually finds himself, it seems, stationed far to the north of Jerusalem in the range of mountains dominated by Mount Hermon. Perhaps this was military duty, or perhaps there were other personal reasons. We can't be sure, but he's away from Jerusalem. He's away from home and away from the life he loves for an extended period of time. Verse 6 and 7 of Psalm 42 not only give us his locale, but they seem to indicate the setting for the writing of the psalm itself. The psalmist invites us to imagine a waterfall cascading over a series of rocks. The hiss and slap of wave after wave invite him to reflect, but instead of being amazed at the beauty, he's overwhelmed. The breakers seem to be breaking over him, driving him deeper and deeper, eventually submerging him completely. He's drowning. Not only is he deeply homesick for Jerusalem and the life of worship which he led, but he's surrounded by a pack of skeptics and naysayers. He's made himself vulnerable. He's made it clear in his company that he's a man of faith. And, And what's the response? Men say to me all day long, where is your God? My foes taunt me, he says, saying to me all day long, where is your God? homesick and suffering under the weight of constant misunderstanding and criticism, outside of the company of faith and away from all that gives him life and meaning, the psalmist falls into depression. Circumstances often aggravate depression. In fact, some would say that circumstances invariably aggravate depression. Pregnancy can set off depression, as some of you know. So can having a baby. Health changes have been clinically associated with depression. Lack of sunshine, they have an acronym for it now. Loss of employment, even promotions have been known to kick off depression. Moves away from a well-known, deeply connected environment. And certainly dramatic life changes, homesickness, isolation, and loss can contribute to depression. Nate talked this morning about the loss of a friend. Okay. There are several takeaways that fall out of this insight as well, at least two that I think you and I need to remember. Number one, when we experience depression, examine your circumstances and change what you can. When you experience depression, examine your circumstances and change what you can. This would include, by the way, I think the use of medication. For many of us, short-term. For a few of us, long-term. Change your physical regimen. Your sleep, your exercise, the sun you're getting, your eating patterns. Lean more completely into your support network. This is critical. If you're not in a small group, change that. Get in a small group and go to that small group and say, everybody's, hey, how are you? Welcome. And you just insert yourself in the middle of it. Need to be a little uh, selfish. I am very depressed. 
Don't worry that, oh, golly, that's, he's such a bummer. Don't worry. This is what we're here for. Lean into your support network. Hey, I need to talk again. Look, don't worry about it. This is awesome. Let's go have coffee. Lean into your support network. Change that. Now, here's a warning. Be careful about making major life changes. We're very rarely depressed because of our marriage or because of our job. We can be sad or discouraged, but genuinely depressed, rarely. I talked to a counselor a couple of weeks ago who told me, it's possible, he said, of this. He said, it's possible that a major life change is what's needed. It's possible, but listen to this, I've never seen it. And often when decisions are made out of depression on major life situations, they're bad decisions. So when you experience depression, examine your circumstances and change what you can. But avoid making major changes without leaning heavily into your support network. Second, second takeaway, pray for either a change in circumstances or the ability to weather those circumstances. So listen to what he said again in Psalm 43. Send forth your light. This is now a cry. This is a prayer. Send forth your light and your truth. Let them guide me. Let them bring me to your holy mountain, to the place where you dwell. Then I will go to the altar of God. Lord, send truth, send light, bring light to this darkness. And by the way, bring me back to Jerusalem. So pray for either a change in your circumstances or the ability to weather your circumstances. All right, epic liberating truth number three. Depression is not a form of unfaithfulness and doesn't have to result in unfaithfulness. And we'll be quick here. If you've ever heard these psalms before, and many of you have if you've been in churches for years, you'll probably remember the chorus. Why so downcast, O my soul? Why so disturbed within me? As we've already said, this is probably a cry that many of us can relate to, but that's not all there is to Psalm 42 and 43. Obviously, the dark moods alternate with powerful declarations of faith. Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise Him, my Savior and my God. I'll bet if this psalmist were here today, he wouldn't hide his heaviness of heart or the darkness of his soul. And he doesn't have all the answers. In fact, he has lots of questions. But the darkness of soul in the bucket full of questions doesn't mean that he's unfaithful. He doesn't let go of his faith. He feels overwhelmed by his circumstances, overwhelmed by his aloneness, and swept over by a waterfall of despair. And yet he declares, by day the Lord directs his love, and at night his song is in me, a prayer to the God of my life. Someone here today feels unfaithful and unworthy because of your emotional turmoil. You wonder, like the psalmist, if God has rejected you. Maybe you believe you're not as good as others, and that's why you feel like you do. Or maybe you believe that you're not as strong, or maybe not as close to God. Doesn't it seem logical that if you were closer to God, you wouldn't feel so distant from Him? Maybe you feel like your life hasn't amounted to anything. You don't sense God speaking His affirmation. But the experience of the son of Korah who wrote Psalm 42 and 43 teaches us that depression, depression is not a form of unfaithfulness. It can, in fact, become an aid to spiritual development. So I think there are several takeaways that fall out of this insight as well. At least two. 
that I think we need to remember. Number one, if you miss everything else, don't miss this. You can battle depression. Of course, this has been the assumption behind everything we said, but it needs to be stated flat out. And primarily we, mean that we need to make note of the spiritual work we talked about earlier. So there's spiritual work that can and should be done in the midst of depression. And I'm going to give you three things. You may think of others. Number one, of course, you need to pray. But it's awesome. He gives us some parameters for the kind of prayer that we need to pray in the midst of depression. In that 42 verse 3, he says, send forth your light and your truth. So lighten the darkness, bring hope, but also, God, bring your truth. Speak your truth to me. Because what I'm feeling right now is I hate myself because I'm just not strong enough. Or I don't get anything done. Or I'm so terrible to be around. People don't like me. Or, or, or you name it. God, speak your truth into my heart and my mind. Send forth your truth. Last week as a part of this subnote to praying, Last week we talked about, we're people who hear three voices. You remember this? We hear our own voice. And we hear God's voice. And we hear the voice of our spiritual enemy. And so part of what you and I need to do in prayer is stand against that voice and do like spiritual battle when you're battling depression. Because he's more than willing to participate with your depression. Pray, number one. Number two. Rehearse what you know to be true. By day, the Lord directs His love. At night, there's a song within me, the psalmist says. And then he goes on, You are my stronghold, God. Over and over again, when he feels himself being drugged down, he'll remind himself of the truth. He will rehearse the truth. And you and I should as well. A significant part of the spiritual work that you and I must do. And last one more. Let me give you one more. Remember past times with God. You know, these things I remember. <laughs> I remember being in Jerusalem, and I, and I remember being at the front of the procession and leading worship in the temple, and, and I remember the songs, and I remember the choruses, and I'm going to sing one right now. Remember what God has done in your life. Remember the times of being in touch with Him, with His presence. Final observation, I'm going to step out of the psalmist, or the, the immediate words of the psalmist now, and give you one final observation. Be realistic about your happiness. The psalmist is depressed. And this isn't an isolated incident. There are quite a number of Old Testament songs that are written out of the context of depression. Many others were depressed. Elijah, after one of his greatest victories, and psychiatrists will, and counselors will often tell us that's often a time where we're vulnerable. After a huge victory... Elijah, after one of his greatest spiritual victories, he wanted to die. He ran off and hid himself in a cave. Jeremiah went further. Jeremiah wishes he had never been born. In fact, he accuses God of, some would suggest the word is close to rape. You raped me. You deceived me. Let's go into controversial territory, perhaps even Jesus himself. On the last night of his life, Jesus says, My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Plus, many of you will know that Jesus told us honestly, Look, in this world, it's going to be tough. You're going to have trouble. 
This world is not perfectly designed for your ease and comfort, despite the investment that suburban Americans make in their ease and their comfort. This world is not designed to facilitate that. Sometimes things are tough, and we have to know that and be prepared for it, but also know that the tough times can drive us to God. And I don't mean to be a downer. The world is also full of light and beauty, and so are our lives. But we need to be realistic about our happiness. It's not always going to be easy for us. I want to end this morning just by reading and letting it soak over us. My favorite hymn ever written is written in the late 1800s. It's an old song called, My God, I Thank Thee. And I want to allow this to be our final prayer and our contemplation this morning. So, my God, I thank thee. My God, I thank thee who has made the earth so bright, so full of splendor and of joy, beauty and light. So many glorious things are here. I want you to imagine that this bummed out guy in the corner of the screen is saying this to you and I. Then he says, I thank thee too that thou hast made joy to abound, so many gentle thoughts and deeds circling us round, that in the darkest spot of earth some love is found. I thank thee more that all our joy is touched with pain, that shadows fall on brightest hours, that thorns remain, so that earth's bliss may be our guide and not our chain. For thou who knowest, Lord, how soon our weak heart clings, has given us joys, tender and true, but all with wings, so that we see gleaming on high diviner things. I thank thee, Lord, that here our souls, though amply blessed, can never find, although they seek, a perfect rest, nor ever shall, until they lean on Jesus' breast. Let's pray. Lord, speak to us in the stillness of this moment. We're here this morning to do some spiritual work, to gather, to sing, to pray, to seek you, to try to offer all that we know of ourselves to all that we know of you. And I know, Lord, that that doesn't mean we deserve anything, but I also know that you live, you long to be gracious to us. You long to show us favor. You long to be our strength and our joy to direct your love to us and put your song within us. Once again, Lord, we pray for the pouring out of your hope. And I pray this morning, in the name of Jesus, that you would send forth your light to those who are walking in darkness this morning. And I pray that you would send forth your truth, messages of truth, about who you are, and about who we are. I want you to stay in an attitude of prayer if you can, but open your eyes. I want to invite you this morning to a mercy meal. Okay, pertinent to our topic today, here's what this means. All that separates us from God, all that causes us emotional turmoil, pain, anger, anxiety, depression, all of that was carried by Jesus to the cross and was done away with so that you and I could 
really experience freedom and hope. It doesn't mean that we always experience it, but it does mean that there's always a way there. So I want to invite you this morning to participate in this mercy meal. The people who are administering this are going to be a priest to you, and they're going to say, the body of Christ broken for you. And you're going to take the body of Christ and eat it and remember him. Then they're going to say, the blood of Jesus shed for the forgiveness of your sins. Wow! And you're going to take it and drink. 